Um, I, uh, I bring you greetings from uh, Rustenburg uh, Presbyterian Church, um, a church that is, I think, five kilometers from here. Uh, is it five or less? Less, no? <laughs> All right, I bring you greetings from them. They, uh, they greet you, and uh, <clears throat> thank you for lending them their pastors for just a few minutes. Uh, so um, we continue with our study in James. <clears throat> We looked at James chapter 2 last week, and we saw verse 14 up until verse 20. Today we look at verse uh, 21 of chapter 2 up until verse 26. Just connecting um, verse 14 and verse 20 um, with the rest of the context of, of chapter 2. Let us look at God's word, and we look at it on the subject of a living faith. Uh, last week we saw um, an autopsy of a dead faith. Uh, today we look at a living faith faith. <clears throat> James chapter 2, verse 21 to 26. Let us read God's word. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. <clears throat> and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the, the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For, the body, for, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we glorify your name. We thank you that we can come before you and be assured and confident that we will hear your word. Speak to our lives. Transform us. Um, and conform us to your will, that we may love your word and walk in it. In the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> As we've already seen in verses 14 to verse 20, James has demonstrated to us here what faith without, that faith without works is dead. We saw that uh, signs of a dead faith are that it is demonstrated by an empty confession, a superficial compassion, and a, and a shallow conviction. Now, note the, challenges, the, the, the challenge he, he makes in verse 20. Uh, verse 20, he says, after, after talking and, 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 and bringing the contention that uh, uh, faith without works is dead, he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You see, this verse here functions as a key to understanding the purpose of verses 21 to 26. Verses 21 to 26 is a demonstration of the fact that faith, apart from works, is useless. And to do this, he offers us two examples of, of people whose faith was demonstrated through their actions. He offers the example of Abraham and Rahab, the, the prostitute. Let us look at these two examples. He, he, we, we see two vital signs of a living faith. 
two vital signs of a living faith. First of all, um, obedience in difficulty, and secondly, care for others. Obedience in difficulty and care for others. Let us look at the first vital sign of a living faith, obedience in difficulty. We see that in verses 21 up until verse 24. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In an effort here, James uh, wants to show a, 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 a sharp contrast between a dead faith and a living faith. He, he brings the example of Abraham. He, he refers to him as Abraham our father. Now, it is important to notice here that the connection that he's making to Abraham, although he is writing to a, um, a, a Jewish audience, is not a racial connection, right? He's not saying um, your father Abraham racially, um, only in terms of the racial line, but he's making a spiritual connection with Abraham. Uh, consider Romans chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, Paul refers to Abraham as the father of all who believe. And to the believers in, in Galatia, he, he says um, that it is, uh, that Abraham, he talks about those who are in the faith. He says those of the faith are the sons of Abraham. So, so, so Paul here, I mean, uh, James, when he, he calls Abraham our father, he is making a spiritual connection. He's, he is he's, he's putting Abraham as an example of, of faith. And as, as, as an example of having faith in God. And John MacArthur explains that Abraham here is the model of saving faith for both Jew and Gentile, a man whose faith was living and acceptable to God. And the incident uh, in the life of Abraham that James uses here is from Genesis chapter uh, 22, verse 9 to 10, when God tested Abraham, asking him to sacrifice his son on the altar. Uh, to appreciate the difficulty that Abraham was in uh, when God commanded him to, 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 to sacrifice Isaac, to appreciate that difficulty, you have to remember the story of Abraham, right? How God had promised him a son when he was, 20, uh, when he was uh, 75 and, and Sarah, his wife, was 65 years old. Earlier in Genesis chapter 12, um, God had called um, Abraham and given him a set of promises. Not, not least of these promises, of which was that he would be a father of, of, of a great nation. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Everything hinged on having a line of descendants. But at that stage, Abraham was old and his wife was barren. And so, having just one child, let alone a dynasty, was going to be a challenge. It was going to be difficult. So God restated the promise, adding that Abraham's descendant would be as numerous as the, the stars of the sky. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And the Bible tells us Abraham believed God. And so James reminds us um, in verses 23 that this was credited to him as righteousness. 
he was right with God. And in due course, Isaac was born. Now imagine Isaac is born, the long-awaited promise from God. Now imagine how Abraham loved Isaac. Right? How much he loved him. It is not an understatement to say that Abraham cherished him more than he cherished himself. Isaac was the apple of his eye. He, he was his, his beloved son. In light of this, you can understand the turmoil in his heart. When God said to him in Genesis 22 verse 2, Take your son, your only son, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You, you can imagine the emotional turmoil that he was going through, the difficulty that he was experiencing in his heart. And I think if you had, to, if you had an opportunity to sit down with Abraham and ask him about one of the most difficult times or, or the hardest experiences in his life, without much thinking about it, I think he would point you to this time. I think he would point you to this very moment when God called him to present his son as a bent offering. To Abraham, the most important thing here, and I want you to think about this, the most important question was, what is more valuable? What is more valuable? Love for my son or obedience to God? What is more valuable? The, the rest of Genesis 22 tells us the answer. He took his son whom he loved uh, and went to sacrifice him as a demonstration of his love and obedience to God. You know how the rest of the story goes, right? God stops him and provides a lamp for the sacrifice. But that's not the point that James wants to make. The, 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 James, the point that James wants to make is, is, is that Abraham's obedience was the result of his faith in God. Right? He was obeying God even in the midst of this difficulty, this difficult command, because of his faith in God. The event in Genesis 22 confirms the reality of Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith in God was not empty, but was demonstrated in his obedience to God. Now, the question to you this morning is, what is most important to you? What is most important to you? Uh, uh, Raymond Ottoland uh, 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 says that um, he, he looks at chapter 22 and he asks the question, what is your Isaac? What is your Isaac this morning? Do you seek above all to honor and glorify and obey God even when it will inconvenience you? <clears throat> Do you seek to submit to the word of God? Sometimes um, remember that the context here is about faith, displaying faith um, um, to, to, sh to show that, uh, that your faith is living by displaying compassion and generosity to the needy, right? 
sometimes showing practical compassion to the needy is hard, and we must admit that. Right? It is hard. It will take you out of your budget. It will mean foregoing luxuries just to help your fellow brothers and sisters who are in need. The question is, what is important to you? Is it personal comfort? Is, is personal comfort more important to you than compassion for the needy? Is convenience more important to you than care for the marginalized and, and those in distress? Let me just say this. You see, comfort and convenience are not bad things in and of themselves. Right? They are not bad things. But when they prevent you from total devotion to the Lord, from generosity and compassion that God is calling you to, then these are things that you need to bring before the altar of the Lord. These are things that you need to put down. These are things because when they are higher and more important than honoring God, they have turned out to be idols. Comfort has become an idol. Convenience has become an idol to a point that you, 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 you do not consider the Lord anymore. Especially when it inconveniences you. When, it dis, when you are in discomfort. That's an indication that it has turned out to be an idol. And God is calling you to bring your idols before him to destroy them. Notice, is the, notice here James's footnote in verses 24. After relaying the story of Abraham, he says this. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This is a verse that confuses a lot of people because it seems as if James here is contradicting what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says this. Listen to this. For we, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, so people become confused and say, oh, oh, really, is the Bible contradicting itself? Does this confirm the charge of the skeptics that the Bible contradicts itself? Or is there a logical explanation for this apparent dilemma? You see, when you examine these two passages, um, Romans chapter 3, verse 28, and um, James chapter 2, verse 24, you, you come to understand that the later option is more logical. James is not contradicting Paul here, but he's complimenting him. And I, I, this, here I need you to listen very carefully. I need you because um, we, we're going to dive in and, and use uh, our brains very much here. Uh, Paul's contention in, in chapter 3, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, is with the legalists. He is fighting the legalists. These were people who were teaching and believing that one can be saved by keeping the law, right? By doing works of the law. They, they, they say salvation is by works. And Paul responds by showing them that salvation is only by faith apart from works of the law. Uh, James, on the other hand, 
contends against antinomians, right? Uh, Paul contends against legalists. James contends against antinomians. Uh, antinomians were people who were teaching that one can be saved and not bear fruits to prove that their faith is genuine. Right? In simple terms, Paul's concern is with the root of salvation, the root of salvation. Answering the question, how does one become saved? And Paul says we are justified by faith alone. Right? So he uses that word justified to refer to the root coming to Christ. James's concern is with the fruit of salvation. Answering the question, how do you see that one is truly saved? Right? And with application to Abraham, we can say this. Verse 23 is the root of salvation. Verse 23 is the root of salvation when he believed God that, uh, and that was counted to him as righteousness. And verse 21 and verse 22 is the fruit of salvation. When because of his faith in God, he responded in obedience to God's command. You see how it does not contradict itself. So it's very important, uh, 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 oftentimes, when people say the Bible contradicts itself and, 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 and the logical response is, show me where it contradicts itself. And someone shows you these two passages. You must see the, the clarity here that Paul there is concerned with the root of salvation. James is concerned with the fruit of salvation. So the way they use justified, James is, Paul is saying we are justified by coming to Christ by faith. And James is using justified in the sense that um, one is vindicated. Their, their works are shown to be true. Um, their faith is shown to be true by their works. Does that make sense? All right. Um, so, so, so James here starts by showing us that uh, uh, a living faith is seen by obeying God even in difficulty. Right? Even when obedience is difficult. And secondly, we see that um, the second vital sign of a living faith is displayed in care for others. Care for others. And we see it in the example of Rahab in verses 25 and 26. Look at verse 25 and 26. James says, In the same way, was not, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received a messenger and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He brings the example of Rahab. You see, Rahab could hardly be more different from, from Abraham. He was a Jewish man. She was a gentle woman. He was rich. She was poor. He was a patriarch. She was a prostitute. Yet they both illustrate the same point. True faith is shown by actions. Right? True faith is shown by actions. And this choice of examples shows us that it comes in all shapes and sizes. Right? It is not only the, the rich who must display true faith by their actions. Right? We expect the rich to keep giving. And, and the poor, we, we put them aside and say, no. But, but James gives these two examples of people that are totally different. Or, are, or that, that are socially different. Right? Culturally different. 
and and he 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 brings these examples to make just one point that true faith is shown by its actions we come across rahab early in the book of joshua the people of god are preparing to enter the promised land and will take uh, they, they need to take the city of jericho so in order to to prepare for this they they dispatch spies to spy out the land before they they fight the battle and during this investigation they come across a woman uh, who is a prostitute rahab a word um she's she's head of the rumors and uh that jewish spies are in the city and now the the the, the jericho police are out and they're looking for these men they are knocking at every door so these men go to Rahab's place and Rahab covers for them. She, she sends the police off in the wrong direction and slipping out the spies with on the other, in, in the other direction. When you look at um, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. Uh, these actions align, uh, they align her with the mission of, of the Israelites. Uh, but they put her entirely at cross purposes with her own people. It is incredibly risky what she's doing. Yet she does it all because she has faith in God. She has heard of what God has done through, uh, for, for, for the Israelites in Egypt. She has heard of how God has been defeating nations through them and she believed God. And, and, and she believed God and this was a time for her to display the reality and the, the genuineness of her belief in God. Right? Listen to what she says to the spies in, in chapter 2 of Joshua, verse 9 to 11. Listen to what she says. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God. You, you can hear the, the, the confession, right? He is God. In the heavens above and on earth beneath. She confesses God to be the God, to be truly God. In, in other words, um, um, the implication is that she is forsaking her idols. She sees God to be the true God. But not only that, it is displayed in her actions as well. That her life has been transformed. Along with many others, Rahab was, has heard of God and of what God has done in fulfilling his promises to his people. She knows him to be the Lord over all. And because she believes all this, she acts. She doesn't just offer a parting hope. I, I, I hope it all works out for you guys. Right? Like, like, like the guy in verse 15. Um, he, she, she doesn't do that. She, 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 she shows it by, by her actions. Those who, who she, she cares for them. She demonstrates and proves her faith by what she does. So James comes to his conclusion in verse 26. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without deeds is dead faith apart from works is dead 
As a pastor, I've 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 uh, I've seen a a handful of dead bodies on on many occasions. I'm not I'm not entirely unfamiliar with the workings of undertakers. In each case, they 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 do a good job in making the body look as presentable as possible, to make it look as much as uh, as possible as though the deceased was merely resting their eyes. But for all the surface appearances, there's no mistaking a dead body, right? It doesn't matter how well-dressed it is. It doesn't matter uh, how much perfume you, you, you put on the body. There's no mistaking that it's a dead body. It is motionless. It is cold. And the fingernails are already changing color. It is the image of a lifeless or of it is this image of lifelessness that James uses to hammer home his point. Professing faith uh, and claims to be trusting in Christ and believing in God can look superficially impressive. They, they can look impressive. They, they can even move people. But without deeds, they are no more vibrant than a dead body awaiting the grave. In another context, we might have expected this verse to, uh, uh, to, to be the other way around, where James says, without faith, deeds are dead. And that is also true. But that is not the point that James needs to make here, and that his readers need to understand. You see, unless it is lived out, faith is no more useful than a breathless corpse. And no amount of careful presentation can change that. It doesn't matter how much you present it, how you present it, how you dress it. It is dead. It is lifeless. Real faith, brothers and sisters, is lived out. It's a lived out faith. True faith is visible and it is active. It does things. We do not always live what we say or, or, or believe. Or even think we believe. But we do always believe what we live out. Right? Does that make sense? We, we do not always live what we, 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 we say we believe or think we believe. But how we live, um, how we live is, is what we believe. Right? So the question is, are you demonstrating deeds that come from faith? Are you, are you showing by your works that you truly have faith? Or are you in danger of hiding behind claims of faith that have no evidence from your lifestyle? Let me apply this, these two examples this way. Uh, this, this passage requires self-examination from all of us. We need to reflect on what we are doing. And how, or if uh, that relates to, to, to what we say and think about ourselves. And as I preach this text, I, I'm conscious that we, we respond to challenges like this in quite different ways. Right? Some of us will naturally have very tender consciences as we hear the word of God. Anytime a challenge like this comes along, we instantly think of our inconsistencies and faults. They are never too far from our minds. And so we might easily find ourselves questioning whether we are really Christians 
at all. And if we are that kind of person I'm describing now, it might be that we often question this. It is a blessing to have a tender conscience. But the danger is that we, we consider our deficiencies that we, we, we fail oftentimes to notice the ways in which we do actually, even if imperfectly, express our faith in actions. Right? We only see the flaws and we easily miss what, we, what might be genuine fruit in, in our lives. Others, on the other hand, um, have a, an, an opposite reaction when they hear this. They immediately assume they are fine, right? They hear this and they are like, oh, this is me, oh, uh, this is me. We, we run a cursory self-diagnostic, think of a handful of, of Christian deeds we've done recently. We, we check the James 2 box, we, we, we check it and, and then move on. But just as a tender conscience might overlook a good uh, and genuine deed, so too the naturally confident might overlook some genuine problems. We see the good deeds and miss the many sinful attitudes bubbling away under the surface. We are so prone to, to, to see the good things that we do. We are hardly prone to truly examine ourselves and see the evil in our hearts and the inconsistencies in our lives. The sinful attitudes In both cases, our self-assessment is superficial. And we need to take our time as we hear this. And we need, we need God's help. We need to pray with David in Psalm 19 verse 12 when he says, But who can discern his own errors? Right? Forgive me of my hidden faults. In other words, we need God to show us where we truly are. Especially if we know we are prone to have a very skewed view of ourselves. One of the means that God uses is, is um, Christian people who know us very well. And who will be honest with us. And then we need to, to be willing to hear their answer. Whether it confirms or corrects what we think. Right? We need to expose ourselves to the scrutiny of brothers and sisters to see that we are truly walking in the light, truly walking in the word of God, truly submitted to the word of God. Uh, let me say this. Uh, it's, it's not an original idea from me. It's, it's a, something I read from Paul Tripp, that Christianity, it's a community project, right? We, 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 we do not live out our Christian life in isolation. It's a community project. In other words, we expose ourselves to the community and it will be uncomfortable. It will inconvenience us sometimes. But we must be ready for that. We must be ready for that because we want to please God. We want to grow. We want to be part of the body of Christ. There may be some who who read this part of James and rightly conclude that they are not Christians. This is the part, uh, this is James's aim to expose false faith as well. Uh, though that might sound like a negative aim to have, right? Uh, it, it is enormously important. It is very important though 
that we examine our faith. And as we've seen, uh, such dead faith or counterfeit faith is no good at all. To realize that is an essential and positive step. We need to abandon false faith if we are to enjoy true and living faith. The best way to respond in such situations is to pray to God about it, to confess the false faith and ask him for true faith. Let me say this. In fact, when we ask, we, when we ask him for faith, it is itself one of the indications, one of the first signs that God is giving it to us. When we draw near to God and cry to him for true faith, that displays the fact that God is working in your life. So James, in this whole passage from verses 14 to 26, brings before us the importance of a living faith. That as Christians, our faith must be characterized by good works. It must be characterized by deeds that are honoring in the sight of God. And in the whole context, the deeds that are honoring in the sight of God is compassion for the needy. It is generosity. God has given us different blessings, right? Some has given us, uh, he's given them the, the blessing of uh, material possessions. Some has given them the, the blessing of time. Many, many blessings. So God calls us to use these things for his glory and the honor of his name, the building up of his church, the caring of one another. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, what a joy it is indeed to know that your word speaks to our life. As you call us to true faith, we pray that our hearts will pursue it as much as we can. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life, for his example, for his death on the cross that opens the door for us to come to you, to honor you and to serve you, to live for you. May you be glorified, O oh God, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.